We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we move out of the world of lineups and rotations and schemes and on-court play and put our thoughts toward the upcoming trade deadline. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. And as a disclaimer to start out, um, for the newer listeners who don't know, all three of us work for the Lakers. And one of the quirks of that is that we cannot talk on a podcast or such related things of like, hey, this guy with this specific name on another team sure would love it if we traded for that guy, right? And so what we do is we kind of talk around it. Everybody knows the rumors and the things that are kind of out there. So we will talk about positional archetypes and things like that and leave it to you, the listener, to determine who it is we're discussing. That said, one of my lasting impressions from last year, Mike, was how the the distinction between the talk on Russell a Russell Westbrook trade leading up to it and then what actually happened. And we were talking the other day about how there's this economy kind of around the Lakers. And there's a lot of motivation for people to be like, ah, the Lakers are considering this player. They're interested in that player, which not even to say that the specific reports are not true, but it's like that's kind of everybody's job at this point right before the deadline is if you are a contender to canvas leak and hey, are there players that can help our team, right? And so one of the things I want to do first before we get into like specific players and all of that is kind of have a discussion about what are the things that teams are considering at this point, right? With a couple of weeks beforehand. And so I turn that to you, Mike, that idea of from the franchise's standpoint coming into a trade deadline, what are some of the factors uh, that are on the table for consideration? A lot of factors, Pete. The first one for me is, is there a player that makes enough of a difference to give up the biggest assets or the best assets that you have? You know, in, in this case, it would be a future first, right? We you know all going all the way out to 2029 because the 2027 pick has already been moved um, last year in the Westbrook deal. And they still owe a pick um, to New Orleans, which could convey either this su- summer or next summer. The Pelicans can defer it if they want, if they think it's going to benefit them more. So you're already down the line uh, pretty significantly in terms of assets with relative to most teams. Now, there are some that have leveraged themselves even further, like the Suns, uh, who went all all the way in to get both Durant and Beal. And, you know, the question there is is sort of 
how long are you expecting LeBron to continue to play? Like big, big picture things. How, how much of that, since LeBron is here now and still playing at this level, um, do you consider? So it's a lot. For me, I, I think that I, so I probably weigh that factor a little bit more heavily than some uh, in terms of like the, what the future is and making sure that you're being a steward of the franchise uh, and not just giving up everything down the road uh, if the player isn't good enough to warrant it. And that's where it becomes very specific as to what that player is, not only what that player is, but what that player's contract is. So that's that's a lot in the future, a lot of stuff that that is too speculative to even narrow down this much. As far as what the roster needs, that's the other part of this. Like, what does the roster need? And can that can that be found in a player that could just occupy the 15th roster spot uh, that the Lakers keep open typically heading into the deadline in case there's the right kind of a buyout guy that you don't have to give up assets for? That is the that to me is is the best way, the best case scenario to do it if Darius, the player, can help enough. Um, if not, then you get back into that how what's the what's the delta between player that you can acquire with say a couple of second round picks and maybe a player that this season you're not getting contributions from for whatever reason um that's that's one avenue and then of course the bigger one is just what what is the best player you can get for that first round pick and something else and how the direction that the franchise goes there again depends on what that player is so that's that would be my <laughs> quick summary of it. That's a little bit convoluted, but um, I I will just say that I think the Lakers have enough on the roster if they're if they're playing it correctly and healthy um, to to still do some things, uh, but could certainly use an additional player. Uh, whether that comes and I, I just probably would tend towards more towards the couple of seconds and slash buyout than what I've seen available for the potential first. But we'll see because it just sometimes we don't even know who those names are. Yeah, there's so many considerations, and this is why like general managing is hard, or being a president of basketball operations is hard. Mike used the word steward of the franchise, and that's both a long and a short-term idea. And a lot of organizations would kill to be in the Lakers position where they have a even an aged 39-year-old 21st season or 21st season uh, superstar with another superstar sort of in his prime and look to build out of that, even if they do have encumbered draft picks down the road. And I think Mike hit a lot of ideas around the Lakers perspective. I also think it's always important to realize that making a trade is a two-way street. And that idea that you brought up, Pete, applies to every team in the league, including the ones that the Lakers are potentially trying to do business with and what they want out of a trade and what they're looking for and how they value the things on your roster or don't value the things on your roster are critical to any discussion. And like, look, I send you guys harebrained trade machine screenshots <laughs> all, all of the time. I also send you guys ones that I think are more realistic. Last year, behind the scenes, we had a lot of discussions about a guy named Rui Hachimura. And I was just like, hey, this dude looks like a potential target for the Lakers. And I would like to trade for him. Like, what about, I remember specifically one, one, one text that was like, hey, what do you think about Kendrick Nunn and two seconds for Rui Hachimura? And it ended up being three seconds, but <laughs> it was like almost the exact trade. Sure. Yeah. We all play around enough where, you know, the blind squirrel and the sure. <laughs> broken clock yes. idea, right? So Darius, is there some way, Darius, is there some way to incorporate what we just learned about your love of plants 
um, and the 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 nurturing no, 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 that you do, do this, to Mike. the plants this is around your house. Ten minute analogy. If he does this, <laughs> okay. Let right. him continue right, down the track. <laughs> so it's always a balance, though, when when thinking about trade season and trade season is also like line season it's also like (laughs) let me let me use the media in order to try to push out my agenda season there's a lot of smoke and a lot of nuance to operating in this world and it's why when i ran forum blue and gold and this was a policy that was instituted by kurt healan the the guy who founded the site, but it's just like, we didn't allow trade speculation like in the comments or we didn't write about it too much because it's typically not fit for average everyday discussion to actually have like a a positive conversation where you end up having realistic dialogue around things. Like it's best left for your text thread with your buddies around stuff like that, right? When you're coming up with the idea for yourself. Now, there is sourced reporting. There is like, okay, this is what we think the team needs. And I think that's why we have the discussion within this podcast in the way that we do as well, where like, yeah, there's a ton of players I'd love to get. Not all of those are attainable by any means. And even the ones that are attainable, it comes down to the restrictions that exist within the context of what the other team wants to get accomplished as well. And so I think it's important to always ground your conversations or ground your thoughts within those larger ideas, Pete, about like what the Lakers could target, what they could want, but also like what other teams want to get out of potential deals. Absolutely. And I think a big factor within that is who are the sellers? I think that's one of the first things that you need to identify. And I think what that is, is whoever determines by the trade deadline that we are going to go for it this season or we are not. And that is a different threshold for different teams. For example, a team like OKC last year, they were we were speculating, hey, are they going to tank at the end of the year to, or are they going to go for it? And I was arguing passionately, you with a young team like that, you want to get them as much experience as possible. And so they want to play in game. They didn't win their, their second one, but you can see how it kind of slingshotted their momentum into this season. And I would argue that being competitive, fighting for something, getting a little bit of it, but not all the way leaves young players even hungrier. And we see that in OKC season this year. For other teams, that it might a team like us, for example, getting to a play-in and winning one play-in game means nothing. And so the threshold for what different teams are trying to accomplish varies. But the existence of the play-in and the purpose of it being something that can get more teams kind of in the mix for the postseason, I think has greatly reduced the number of sellers typically at the trade deadline these days. And so I'm... I think that when you look at the standings, that's the first thing to do, I suppose, is when you look around the league is, okay, who are the teams that are likely to be like, hey, we need to get out of the situation we're in. My understanding is this is not a particularly well-regarded draft. It's not last year where it's Victor Wembenyama and everybody knows, like, give yourself a best chance to get that guy. I don't think it's, it's that type of thing. And so I think there are going to be more teams that are more enthusiastic about pursuing it. So let's take a break here. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. 
Whether your resolution is to save money, eat better, or stress less, HelloFresh is here to help you do all three. Say hello to your most delicious year yet with fresh ingredients and chef-crafted recipes at a price you'll like, delivered right to your door. Each HelloFresh box is packed with farm-fresh ingredients, and everything arrives pre-portioned right to your doorstep for less hassle and less wasted food. Don't let recipe boredom strike because HelloFresh has more options than never. Dig into their biggest menu yet with over 45 dinner options to choose from weekly and even more market add-on items that suit any lifestyle. There are many things I appreciate about HelloFresh, from how it saves me time by having all the ingredients ready at my fingertips to how organized and easy to follow all of the recipes are. But most of all, I really do like the variety of offerings and all the different flavor profiles in their meal kits. Go to HelloFresh.com slash LakerFilmRoomFree and use the code LakerFilmRoomFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash LakerFilmRoomFree with code LakerFilmRoomFree. But guys, from the Lakers' point of view, every time I hear Jeannie talk, every time I hear Rob talk, almost always they start with, the goal here is to raise the number 18. It's, it's to win championships. And so the Lakers sitting at 22 and 23 with the final home game of a long January that was uh, – that that's had the same average results that the rest of the season has had. We're nowhere close to the upper contenders in terms of the standings right now. And so guys, that's something that I think part of the consideration is, is, and this is what Mike was speaking to earlier is do you trade future assets to get to the Western conference finals again and tap out there? Right. Or, and so I'm curious your guys thoughts on that. I, as you know, and I'll save this for, for last, I am, very aggressive in this and like you freaking go for it. You got LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but I also understand that that stewardship, like you said, D is a long-term thing too. And it is a, if we're just getting to the second round and losing because we added a guy for a first round pick, it's probably better to keep the first round pick to see if you can get the guy that can help you win a championship later down the road. And so I, I open that up to you guys, that idea of like, what's the, what, what are the thresholds for you in this respect? Yeah, that, that's kind of it. it. It's just that you have to be thinking about two things at once. And the the moving parts there are this season, looking at where the Lakers are. And I think this is the, the unfortunate part about where they're at at the season at 22 and 23, um, as opposed to a team that had a, a better chance to be in the top four, which I think is where we would have forecasted the Lakers in an ideal situation before the season started. Uh, to be in that mix, uh, I think, makes this a little bit, at least a little bit different. And not necessarily the difference between making a trade or not, uh, but just considering what assets that you're willing to give up. So to put that into context, the Clippers right now have 14 losses uh, as the 4C. The Lakers have 23 losses. That's a, a nine-game margin in the loss column is extremely difficult to make up uh, between now and the, all, and the end of the season uh, and just uh, basically the second half part of it. So the Lakers are going to be more likely in the play-in mix. Um, it's going to be tough even for them to get out of the play-in at this point. New Orleans and Phoenix, uh, Phoenix has won seven in a row. Uh, they are now five games ahead of the Lakers in the loss column. So I, I still think that should be the target to try and get out of the play-in mix. But the point is, if they're in the play-in mix, that means they have to win one super high-stakes games. Remember, they barely survived the Timberwolves, despite that game being um, in Los Angeles and the Timberwolves being without a couple of key players last year. And 
And that takes a little bit out of the sales heading into round one. And then you get into round one and it's the two seed. Um, even if you win that game, if you lose that game, then you have to play the winner of the 9-10 game. Or you could be the 10 seed or where the Lakers are, where they're now. You guys understand the play-in mix. So uh, my my point being, it's it's just something to consider that the path is that much more difficult, um, even if you nail a trade. Um, so I'm I'm just the needle that you would like to thread, Darius, is to is to try and get help without without sacrificing that much more of the future or the unknown or like for example when you're the lakers and you have a chance you have a better chance than other teams to have players want to come to you but you have to have enough assets in the modern nba where free agency is not as much of a thing anymore uh, to be able to be in that game where the opposite franchise can at least sell it to their fans uh, that that player might be getting moved to the lakers so um i I hope that's not too general, but my point is I do think that it's one thing if you're if you're playing great and everybody's in rhythm and you're looking like you're going to get a good seed relative to just battling to get in uh, and and what the delta there is for the appetite to make a, a big trade or something that's going to encumber your future too much. Yeah, it's always complicated and maybe it's it's funny because I think that sometimes Lakers fans can have both this idea of like Lakers exceptionalism where like we're the best. And then they could also have persecution complexes where everyone's out against us. And they're both true, like, though, <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, would be the Lakers if we didn't say such things, Pete. Yeah, I mean, look, some of your plants need super. Oh, okay. uh, sorry, just kidding. Take that out. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I will say that it's like balancing that idea of how you're going to get the next great player to come to the Lakers. That's always. That's as much of a North Star to me for the architects who are building the team as raising that next banner because you don't do the latter without the former. Right. This isn't the old NBA. Like I always laugh because the Lakers won a coin flip to the rights to draft Magic Johnson. They traded a past his prime old guard star Goodrich, yep. that turned into a number one pick overall that became James Worthy. Yes. Those machinations that built this amazing team that had a decade long run, those things don't happen anymore. And then the Shaq free agency and then getting Kobe Bryant with like the 13th pick and all that it took to navigate that, like those are sort of once in a generation deals, just like I think it was a once in a generation deal that LeBron James decides he's going to come to the Lakers without another star joining him. And he's just like, yeah, guess what? I'm going to play for the Lakers for the last part of my career. And so I'm with like, I understand the perspective that Mike is saying in terms of like having the ammo and this, this, that, and the other, because I think that that's super important. I also think that in the modern NBA Pete, most opposing teams are like, give me everything. And so there are times too, where I'm like, well, how about, how about if I gave some of that away already? And this dude is trying to say like, I want to go there too. And you handle it with a little bit more aplomb and delicateness than maybe Dame Lillard did in his pursuit to get to Miami. And you don't ruffle as many feathers and this, this, that, and the other. Like if... I want the best players and I want them all of the time as as a fan. I'm trying to build the best team now and the future is the future. I don't mortgage the future if I can avoid it, but getting a good player 
now, who can help me win now, but can also potentially be a bridge player towards the future. Mm-hmm. I want that as much as I want the idea of what the 13th, 14th, 18th, even 8th pick can mm-hmm. can turn into and it's that delicate dance is something that it's always like the hokey pokey right like one foot in one foot out like i'm not exactly sure which way to go but when the right deal is there to make i want to make it because i think that and that's a decision for the individual who's got control of the strings and i think that under that calculus it's important that if you are to move a, f- a future first especially with, we only have one tradable one in, in 2029 at, at the moment. On draft night, if we were to keep the 2029 pick, we would have up to three of them to be able to trade. But with that in mind, if you do trade that 29 pick, it has to be for somebody who probably checks both of those boxes from the short term and the long term, right? You can't plan all the way out to 2029, in my opinion, but somebody who is at an age where they're not, you know, mid-30s, Mike, and trying to contribute to a championship run this year and then in two years they have very little value and so to me those are the types of players and it's fun to we'll do that in the next segment but it's fun to debate who where is your threshold for a first round pick i've had a couple interesting conversations with friends about that uh, of you know what do you think about that but i do think that's kind of how it works yeah, I mean, look, we were talking about some of this in my car yesterday. Uh, me I had and a Pete. ton of fun. Uh, I haven't had a conversation like that in a long time. That was a lot of fun. There's a, I'll, I'll just kick it back to you like this. There's the simple way to put it, right? There's like an Excel spreadsheet and there's, you know, maybe there's seven guys on my list that I think are worth that, or maybe it's three on my <laughs> list that I think it's worth the first. And maybe there's, you know, eight on yours and maybe there's seven on Darius's. Mm-hmm. And then, then there's the sec. what do you, what, how about two seconds? Maybe there's another 15 guys in that list. So it's just, it's like the, a big board on a draft or in free agency when they're putting it up there in the, like Rob Palenka has got his actual board up there, right. With Jesse Buss and everybody. And this player is good enough for this amount of money. And this player's not in, in every team has a little bit of a different yeah. evaluation of what that is. And for me, I think I'm closer to Pete in terms of that aggressiveness. I'm not saying that you're not also willing to be aggressive, Mike, because I know that when you have your mind set on, like, I see the path, like, you're going to go for it too. I think that the Lakers are in a position where they need to try to maximize what they have in LeBron and AD. I'm also a big proponent of getting good players on your team in order to keep them on your team. It's the argument I made about trading Russ last season, even way early in the season, about why they couldn't just let him go into his walk year and try to play around in free agency with potentially having 25 or $30 million if they renounced everyone. And like, because I think that The modern NBA requires a certain amount of pre-agency where you get players on your roster in order to extend them or sign them to new deals when they come up on free agency. And you do that through bird rights. You do that through the machinations that exist within the collective bargaining agreement. And so I'm all for like... That idea, Pete, of like, oh, a guy is under contract for two more seasons or three more seasons or four more seasons. Like, that's great. But even a guy who's under contract for one more season, oh, I've got Still one good. more season with this guy. And we saw last year the value of expiring contracts on the trade market. Yep. And I just want as many good players as I can, and I want to get them for as few good players as I need to give up. <laughs> that's right. That's the whole game, right? <laughs> 
the trades that are potentially out there, the framing of that and what you hear in the media is not always going to be what happens behind the scenes in conversations in the room. And so let's go to break here because I think now we need to start to get into the nitty gritty about what the team needs are. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's start with some of the guys on the team and, and begin it last at this past offseason. The one plus one deal that D'Angelo Russell signed has and fill in the blanks on this. I'm not as fluent in the cap stuff as URD, but it had an implicit no trade clause. But the agreement that the Lakers and D'Lo came to was that D'Lo waived that no trade clause. Right. And so that's the harbinger of like, hey, we're. If we need to make a move, you're the likeliest thing. I remember a thing you wrote earlier in the year, D, where you were like, if you're a Laker fan and you've been in the trade machine, D'Angelo Russell has probably been one of the contracts you've traded, right? Starting with him, he makes, what, 17-ish million a year uh, with a player option for next year. That whole idea that you were just talking about where I'm trying to get good players and give up as few good players in the process I'm hard pressed to find too many guys at Delo's contract that are I like he's not he's not the very top but if the point is to make the team better Delo has helped quite a bit right and the number of guys he leads the team in raw plus minus p right like he is we are good when he is on the floor yes and so if there's another guy making freaking 17 million ish or so that is going to take us from that that is a quantum leap from him Absolutely trade Delo. I just don't see that necessarily. And he's up there in terms of, of being likely of being moved just by the by virtue of his contract. And so, Mike, I, I just don't see you, you get where I'm going with this, where like his level of production is well, commensurate yeah. with he's not a problem with this team. This is a frequent topic of the chat for us is that D'Angelo Russell, the player that he is and the reputation that he has around the league is lower than what his current production Great is. Great point. Yes. And that's and so it, that it's it only takes this is how it works though it only takes somebody recognizing that on a different team to put it into proper context but it's it can be more difficult when there is this collective perception of a player and then you trade for that player to uh, to make the argument of well you guys don't realize that he's actually been better than what you might think right. uh, and and that and that to me makes it more difficult to trade uh, somebody 
just in this is like if you have a fantasy team and you have a player that's playing really well but the perception of that player around the rest of the league is always stinks it's like well hold yeah, on guys aren't you just look at his look at look at what he's doing look at his average and you'll send you'll put together maybe the last 14 days of that player's uh trajectory at least what i'll do and i'll try to sell it to somebody else and and so i that's where i've been at with d'angelo russell it's a similar place that i found myself when i was doing the radio show back in the day and the perception about d'angelo russell and like, and how good he was or how bad he was. And I'm like, but he's better than the way that you're describing him. That doesn't mean he's the best player in the league, but his value is more um, than what I think is understood collectively. And that, that is the difficulty for me when you think about uh, where he, like why you would trade him in that context to, to take some player that can't do what he does with dribbling and passing and shooting, uh, which is the thing we talk about with him. And I would argue if that's the perception of a guy around the league, then he's on the opposite end of the spectrum of the kind of guy that you could actually do that thing of getting better players for lesser players that you were talking about, D. You want a guy where everybody thinks this guy's awesome, but you know, because you watch him, that he's like, he's not quite as good as the perception is around the league, right? Yeah. And that's, that's the place to get value out of, right? And so that's... Again, just with with the topic of D'Lo, I just don't see the the move where we get better enough to get to to warrant moving a pick along with it. You know what I'm saying? The interesting thing is about D'Lo too is that his specific skill set is proven to work next, especially offensively, is proven to work next to LeBron and and AD when he's performing at the level, not even to the level that he's been at now, which has been like fantastic, but like even a notch below that. If you're an, if you're a player who is shooting 40% on threes, scoring 18 points a game and is capable of dishing out anywhere between seven and 10 assists a night, you have value on this specific Lakers team that is, has a bunch of good finishers on it and needs outside shooting first, like for spacing. And if you start to take away those skills from from the team, you start to reshape the look of your group. Now, I will argue for that reshaping in other parts of the roster because I think that there's a different shape of the team that I would like this group to take on in order to play a style of basketball that I think represents the best version of themselves. Whether that best version tops out at a championship, I do not know, but I think that's the best path. So to what is that? What, what does that look like then? Again, like if you listen to yesterday's pod, and if you haven't listened to it yet, the pod that posted on Wednesday, January 24th, give it a listen, the Goldilocks pod. Because we talked some about this where I discussed a fair amount about Torian Prince and how I like Prince as a player and I think that he's been a a solid to good contributor. And on some nights, he's been super helpful towards getting the team wins. But to me, on this specific build of the roster, Prince is more of a guard. But he's been playing almost exclusively at small forward. And that positioning, I would prefer the Lakers play bigger there. And when I say bigger, it's like we've had this discussion a lot on the pod, but Vanderbilt sized are bigger. So Vanderbilt, LeBron counts here, Rui playing Wood and AD together to slide one of those other players down more. Basically building out lineups where you have more size and motor on the court in order to do the dirty work of the stuff that's going to happen around the paint. I'd prefer then to move the roster in that direction and you can like infer what that means for who I think 
should be traded or not traded or how the lineup should be reorganized. Like, I think some of this work could be done even without making a trade at all. But I do think that you can facilitate this a little bit more by exchanging some of the players that are currently on the roster for other guys around the league. Like, I think there's been a lot of discussion nationally and even reported from like, like sourced reporting about the Lakers looking at guards, for example. And I'm not averse to upgrades at guards, but we just talked about why we like D'Lo and why we appreciate the things that he does when he's on on his game. I'm a fan of Austin Reeves as well, right? Like I like the things that that Austin does. It's not reflected as much in his plus minus this season and and his shooting has been inconsistent. But I like Austin as a connecting player and someone who has proven in the past to be pretty effective in high leverage situations. So I'd like to keep him too. And in this idea of like keep as many good players as you can. I think Austin Reeves is a good player. He's on a great contract for for what his production level can will can be. I'm not trying to send those players away. I'm trying to hoard as many of those guys as possible. And so for me, Mike, it's like I'm trying to scale the Lakers up in size. I'm trying to keep as many of the good players that they have um, already. And I'm specifically trying to target players who can play on the wing, who can offer physicality and skill and motor around the Lakers front court players that the team has built around. And people can infer from that as much as they want. I also think that how the team is playing matters, uh, at least some in the context of what's going to happen at the deadline in a couple of weeks. And so the Lakers have a home game against the Bulls and then they go on the Grammy trip, you know, six games, 12 days, Longest trip of the year and how they come out of that in terms of wins and losses. And, you know, if if they're not able to make some kind of even a little push to get over 500, uh, albeit which isn't easy on the road, but they do have some winnable games at Golden State. The, the Lakers have won there, certainly in recent times in the playoffs at Houston. It's a place that they can win at Atlanta. It's a place that they usually win uh, before you get to a couple of really tricky road games at Boston and New York and then conclude at Charlotte, you know, do they come back just right at 500 or can they somehow get things together uh, and make a little bit of a push? And that like, if things, if things don't show at least somewhat of an upswing, I, I think that to a minor extent, at least it has to impact thinking, all right, well, is this team good enough? Even if you make a move that is a little bit bigger than what you want to do. Uh, and if not, then it's not that you're packing in the season. That's not going to happen no matter what. Uh, the Lakers don't do that. They're going to try and win as many games as they can. They're going to try and get as far as they can. But just in the context of this conversation, I think it's worthwhile to see how the team uh, enters this little stretch here. Very much so, which is part of the reason why the things that we've seen have a huge sample size. We don't need to see those going forward over this period of time. That's one of the big questions I have about tonight's game, guys, is this is the first time we've had all of them. Who's going to start tonight? Is Prince going to start again? Are we going to go back to the Rui lineup that played awesome against Portland? Again, this is something that I think is going to determine a lot of what we do at the deadline. Mike's exactly right. If we don't make that push and we're in exactly the same place, a game under 500D at deadline day, like what, you give up a first to, to do what? To lose in the first round? No, sure. I also see the opposite side of this, though. Yes. It's just like, yes. look how many trades have been made already to this point for teams that are trying to fortify and give themselves a runway in order to make the type of run that Mike is talking about. It's just like you change your fortunes in this league, not just by being not just by waiting for more results to come in. And then it's just like, oh, OK, well, that made up my mind for me, but by being aggressive. 
the Bucks just fired their head coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they are 30 and 13. The Lakers would kill to be 30 and 13 right now instead of being 21 and 22 through 43 games. And there is a certain amount of, oh, well, you did that because you think you have a window in order to win something and you didn't believe this was the group that could do it. Now, if everyone, if all of the decision makers within the Lakers organization believe that this is the group that can win the championship, then by all means, go out there and win the championship with this group, or at least maneuver yourself to put yourself in better position within the construct of this roster to do so. And this is for like future conversations about like Darwin and lineups. And we've had these, these discussions a bunch, but the injuries have played a part in this, but the road trip is setting itself up to be a place where the Lakers are hopefully going to have like all 12 of their rotation quality players or 11 of their rotation quality players available. And at some point you're going to have to decide what is the shape of those players and how do we want to combine them in order to give this team the best chance to win night after night after night. And that hasn't happened enough this season. And it, that's not my opinion. It's the opinion of the standings. I'm of the mind, though, that if you don't think this group is good enough, like you can say what you want to say publicly. Do you think this group needs a change, not only for this year, but potentially the next season or the season after that, then you go and you make the move. And I'm not saying you do it at all costs like, oh, here, take all my future first. Take all the seconds I have. No one's saying give up everything, but make the smart move that you believe in in order to make the change that you want to see in the team. I'm more of the mind that this group needs some tweaking. It doesn't need to be a huge change, but I think it needs some tweaking. I do think that they need some reinforcements. And I'm actually hopeful that they don't wait until the end of the road trip to say, like, this is where we are or that they're making deadline deals. I think they need to give themselves the ability to ramp up some and give themselves more of a runway. Yeah, they clearly need at least some kind of a tweak, whether that's, again, filling the last roster spot with a good player who weren't expected to be buying out or making some kind of a move. You know, we spent a lot of December, especially the latter part of the month after they won the IST and had the tough schedule, thinking about the tough schedule. And then in January, the Lakers have only been on the road for one game, uh, and that was at Utah. The other road game was against the Clippers. And the Lakers entered January 17 and 17, and now they're 22 and 23. So that that part has been squandered, that home heavy stretch He's against always, some teams that weren't as good. Yes. You know, that so that part of it in that, I think, to Darius's point, that shows that some level of tweak uh, needs to needs to happen because the team was also largely healthy, at least relative to the modern NBA in January. They miss key players at key times, no doubt. But it was not like Anthony Davis missed two weeks, you know, with with this or that knock on wood or so the the team is kind of is what it is in terms of the record right now. Um, I They have shown, though, that they can reach higher levels when things are optimal. But some kind of a boost, I think, would would help. And then at the same time, just when the trade deadline passes and everybody knows that it's over. Um, that can that can also have a galvanizing that effect for players who have heard their names a ton. So I do think that better days can be ahead uh, for the Lakers. It's just important to recognize yeah. what the context of this team is uh, right now and and where they're at. I'd love that, Mike. Like a few things. So 
we are what our record is, right? Like the the whole, oh, January is going to be so nice, going to be at home. No, we were the exact same level of team as we were before. It was always true that that's what it was. What can also be true is that galvanizing effect after a trade deadline. One thing I've always said is if you make between 10 and $20 million for the Lakers, and this will scale up as the cap goes up, you will always be in trade rumors, right? It's just in- inevitable. So I've seen that on Lakers teams where you get past the deadline and there's that sigh of relief. However, what I've also seen, and I, I call back to LeBron's first year with us, right, which was not a super healthy season by any means, but we did make a couple of deadline moves with uh, with the Reggie Bullock move and then the Zoo for Mike Muscala trade. The role players that you are normally able to get, the marginal upgrades you're normally able to get, I think one thing that we could all agree on is I think it's un- very unlikely the Lakers trade for a superstar, all-star caliber guy or a guy who's made one recently, you know? So if you're making a marginal upgrade and what's the foundation underneath is still not optimized, it's still got some some funkiness to it, they're not going to matter a whole lot. And so we can't be looking at the deadline to be like, ah, you know, we're going to get that guy and have a similar effect to what happened last deadline where you had those expiring contracts that can get way better players in aggregate in return. So you've legitimately upgraded the talent level on your roster. We're going to be able to do that, I think, to some degree at the deadline, but not to that degree. And so it's important that the underlying stuff gets fixed. So this was fun. I hope uh, y'all enjoyed. We don't normally do pods on this kind of kind of thing that often. So, uh, but hopefully it gives you some context leading into the deadline. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. See how the game goes tonight. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the a lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Bryant, unbelievable. Victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.